another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream. Hi, folks. This is Jack Sparrow with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, we'll make you the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Tough and tough. Or even if they don't dictate it a little bit differently. Today, I'm home in the home office. Decided to. Uh, stay here and not go mobile today, and because of that, I can record directly to a PC. You'll probably get a bit better audio quality. We'll see. This is a headset that you guys didn't really like on the uh, mobile recorder, but we'll see how you like this headset plugged into a PC and how this audio quality comes out for you here today. Okay. With that out of the way, today is Friday, and it is August 7th, 2009. And this is episode 252 of the Survival Podcast. Today we're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about fall gardening and getting ready for it in a couple of different contexts. Uh, contexts, I guess is the way to say that. We're going to look at it from two different angles. One is the massive production that if you've had a garden through the spring and the summer that you're about to experience uh, and what to do with it all. And we're going to look at what you can do to keep your garden producing for as long as possible. Some of you folks that live down in the south like me, you'll be able to keep your garden producing all the way through the winter. And some of you will have to do some other things if you want any production at all uh, in just a few months when the really cold weather comes, and we'll talk about that too. Uh, we're also going to do a review of a radio uh, made by uh, a company called, what is the name of these guys again, Cato, I think. Uh, uh, it's called The Voyager, and uh, we'll get, yeah, it's Cato, K-A-I-T-O. Somebody asked me about this, and I was intrigued enough, I actually bought one to review. I'll give you my review of that, but before we do that, we're going to do the intro segment today. And then we'll do our housekeeping, and we'll move on to uh, the main topics. Uh, number one uh, today, I want to talk to you about the ass clown of the day. And um, we're going to stay on healthcare with ass clowns because there's just so much going on with it. And this is going to be a brief interest segment because I don't have to say much here. Um, the ass clown of the day uh, that I'll announce today, which is for remarks from yesterday, was our own Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who said that all of these people showing up at these uh, town hall meetings and disrupting them are organized, and that's a terrible thing that they're organized, and uh, Prince Obama seems to hate that too. Um, it's okay when somebody else organizes, but I guess if you are the one doing the, if, if it's a, uh, if it's somebody that opposes the Democrats doing the, uh, the organizing, they get, they get upset about it. Anyway, the thing was the swastika comment. And I'm going to put a link to a story for you guys today, and she'll tell you how all these people are showing up flashing swastikas at these meetings. Now, if one swastika showed up one place, you know it would have been all over the news. There's been no swastika. She's an idiot. And uh, I don't understand, um, you know, I don't really align very well with the House Democrats, nor do I align very well with the House Republicans. But I, I generally respect them as people that are intelligent enough to get themselves that job. And I don't know how they let an ass clown like this be their leader. It's really frustrating to me that that's the best the House Democrats can come up with for leadership is Nancy Pelosi. It's uh, it's clearly a political move to, uh, to pander to women, and hopefully it's not working. Now, um, we've been asking for, like, what would we call the positive people, uh, and, and we're still working on that, and we haven't made a decision yet, but I'm going to call these people my heroes of the day because uh, I'm not going to talk about politicians now. I have a video for you. I want you to go watch it. And these are my heroes of the day. And it's a group of members of AARP 
that went to an AARP meeting about this healthcare fiasco. And because they asked questions, because they didn't wholeheartedly agree with the presenter, they closed the meeting down. Well, these people realized, hey, you know what, we're the members, this is our meeting, and they continued to conduct the meeting. I won't say much other than I want you to watch this video, I'll put a link in today's show notes, and I think it'll give you some hope. It'll give you hope because when, when the old people start to get ticked off about stuff like this, and they start to actually get active, uh, that means they've gone away from the other side. And I think we're going to see a major swing um, in, in the coming elections. I don't know that I'll be totally happy with them because we're going to get, you know, uh, a different version of the same old, same old. But I do think we'll get some change, especially in the Congress, where maybe some people with real jobs will, will run this time. Uh, that, that have worked for a living, that don't have a lot of political experience. Who knows? We'll see if that happens. This gives me hope that it can. Uh, and that wraps up the intro segment. Let's go into the uh, the housekeeping today. Number one, our advertiser of the day is SOE Tactical Gear, John Willis and his folks up there in Tennessee. Uh, I'll tell you again, folks, like I do every time I mention John, um, if you want the best tactical equipment, you can get your hands on the very best stuff. If you want to buy something that you'll have for the rest of your life and that your kids will be able to use. Uh, John's got to buy from. His biggest complaint that his competitors have about him is that he overbuilds his equipment. When that's the best your competition can do, it says something about what you're doing, and it says you're doing it right. Uh, real quick, I'd like to throw a shout-out, though, to uh, two new advertisers that came on board this week. We were lucky to have two new supporters show up. You might want to check them out as well today. Uh, one is MURSradio.com. Uh, they make really great two-way radio communications and security equipment. Actually, I should they make it. This is uh, a gentleman who's a reseller for uh, MURS radios, and uh, he's been around for a long time. We checked into him. He's got a lot of repeat business. So we welcome him as a sponsor. And uh, we have a reseller that's joined us as well who specializes in Berkeley Light water filters. Uh, both of their banners can now be seen on the site. Uh, they started running yesterday. Uh, please check out their sites as well. It means a lot to me that people are starting to really support this show. And, again, I want to remind you that uh, our advertisers are personal endorsements. And uh, with that, we'll move on to the next call out. Please consider joining our forum. Uh, and again, uh, I'm making this International Recruitment Week because I was asked to by several folks from the UK and Australia. If you are an international listener, please go into the international board and reach out and meet other people that are outside of the United States that have a little bit different perspective than we do here and get in touch with them. We're trying to grow this into a global community. Um, the uh, the next thing I wanted to remind you of, Region 6, that speaking of community, is having a get-together. You can find more about that out from Shannon Appleby up there in the Iowa area. And then last but not least, if you think this show is worth more than 20 cents an episode, consider joining the Supporting Members Brigade. You'll get exclusive content available only to members, along with over $64 of retail value for free on the day that you join. All right, so let's go ahead and move into uh, to discussing kind of our topics of the day. And let's start out with uh, my review of this uh, Cato Voyager radio. And I'll put a link to where you can see check this thing out online for yourself. And in fact, I'm probably going to do another version version of this video sometime today or tonight and put it on video so I can point out these things, but I thought that I would get this done uh, today. I've been going to do a video, going to do a video, going to do a video, and just not get it done, and one of the people really wants to uh, decide whether they want to order this thing or not this week, and because uh, it's on sale from, uh, I think, Emergency Essentials or somebody like that. And uh, I'm going to tell you, I don't think you're going to want to order it after you hear my review. Uh, not that it's all bad, but there's some issues here. Let's uh, let's go on with it. So let's uh, let's talk about this thing. I saw it online. Somebody asked me about it if I thought it was any good or not, uh, and I really couldn't tell by looking at it online. 
And I read reviews, both good and bad, about it, and uh, decided, you know what, the best way to find out is go ahead and buy one of these. And one of my listeners asked, this thing seems pretty cool. Uh, why not just spend the, the, the $59 and buy it? And if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, I'm sure it'll be functional and useful in some way. And that's what I got, is I got something that, you know what, um, I won't send it back, but I cannot recommend that you buy it. The Voyager radio is... Uh, Kind of cool in concept. It has a solar panel on the back, and on the back side of the solar panel has a light bar of LEDs. That's actually very useful. It's uh, it's very bright, and uh, for reading or something like that, it's probably better than most uh, crank-up light sources. So that works out pretty good. It's got a solar panel, uh, and that does seem to charge the battery relatively quickly if you get it out in high sun. You can have it completely dead and put the radio on and put it in the sun, and it will continuously play right from the solar panel. So I can't complain too terribly much about that. Here's my problem. With crank power or solar power, anything using the chargeable battery pack, other anything other than the, you can also put three double A's in it, anything other than those three double A's, uh, it gets very poor radio reception because it just doesn't have enough power to, to receive well, which you don't need a lot of power to receive. And I tried both cranking it for two minutes, which they say you only need 30 seconds of cranking to get a decent charge. So I did two minutes of cranking, and there was still a very noticeable difference between using the main batteries and using the rechargeable batteries, and I couldn't get a lot of radio stations to come in well. Um, also, there's a little switch for the lights. For There's a, there's an SOS light, and there's kind of like a flashlight light, and then there's a light bar up at the top of it. Uh, the switch is uh, it's like a little toggle switch. It's kind of hard to manipulate. And the other thing about it that I don't like is it's wide open. You can look in and see the circuit boards inside the radio. So I don't expect this thing to be waterproof, but it's, it's basically got a giant hole of about a half inch long and a quarter inch wide in the top of it that would allow water to go directly into it in even a very moderate rain. Uh, the shortwave bands, I was only able to pick up two stations, and one was some Mexican man that was very upset about something, and I don't know what. It's got a weather band, seven-band weather band radio, and I was unable to pick up anything with either battery source on the weather band. Um, the, the, one of the more intriguing things about it, it has a little uh, plug module in the back and some adapter cords that adapt to common cell phones, and they allow you to charge a cell phone. So I thought, well, great, I have a solar cell phone charger. It doesn't do that. In, 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 uh, when you, when you use it, uh, to charge cell phones, you have to plug the cell phone and you have to manually crank the, uh, the crank, and that is the only way to get cell phones to charge. It says in the manual, it says in the manual that you can use the solar panels to charge a cell phone. It does not work. Trust me, I went out in blistering Texas sun, pointed the solar panel directly at it, and it did not charge the, the, the phone at all. Cranking it, it did charge the phone. It would take you a very long time to put a significant, uh, cell phone charge up. Um, overall, the quality, it, it's plastic, so it's got that against it, but it, it's a pretty good feeling little unit. It's okay. If you, if you happen to find one that's for sale used for 25 bucks, it's probably something that's worth 25 bucks. This is not a $60 tool because so many of the things it promises, it just doesn't deliver well on. Now, if anybody sells these things out there and you think I'm wrong and you think I just got a lemon and you want to send me a replacement and prove to me that, you, that, that maybe I just got a bad one, that's fine. I don't think it's a bad one. There's nothing in it that looks defective. Uh, it looks like it's well put together. Um, it's got a QC pass sticker right on it. Um, I just think that this unit is not as good as it purports to be. That said, I'll keep it, and uh, it'll be nice to have. I can pick up some uh, radio on AM and FM with it fairly well, even without any power. Um, I sure wish the, the uh, weather uh, radio side of it worked. I could not get a single blip of connection 
on any of the seven weather bands. So my advice to you folks is this is not where to spend your money. And um, I'll try to do a video of it a little bit briefer, and I'll show you my Grundig, which doesn't have a lot of the additional features, but the features that it does have work a hell of a lot better. And uh, we'll see if we can get that out to you this weekend. All right, so that wraps up my review of the Cato Voyager. I wish... I really wish I could have gave the people that asked for this a better review. It sounded like you were really interested in buying it. And let's face it, it had enough cool factor that I went out and bought it. But, folks, I'm not going to tell you something's good just because uh, I want to be a nice guy to people. This thing's not worth 60 bucks. And uh, if anybody out there works for Cato or knows, who, knows somebody who works for Cato, um, you guys need to improve. This is a substandard piece of equipment. Uh, at 60 bucks, you should have been able to deliver exactly what you advertised and you did not. I'm sorry. All right, so now let's look at fall gardening for a bit. And I might even squeeze a little bonus of something else out to you. I'm in a pretty good mood today, and uh, I'm at home. And i got a lot of flexibility today, so uh, let's see what we can do. Uh, the first thing that I mentioned earlier, I really want you to start thinking about now, if, especially if this is your first year with a garden, right now, the sun is baking the entire United States. It's a hot part of the year. Even up in Maine, it's pretty hot in the middle of the day. Um, up in Washington, it's pretty hot in the middle of the day. Uh, out in California, hot. So it's all over the country, you know, four corners. Uh, down in Florida, it's definitely hot. I know I grew up there uh, at least part of my life. And um, what that's doing probably to your production right now is it's, it's in decline. Uh, you probably had a pretty good bump right in the springtime, and then as it got really hot, you started to see your production decline. Now, all oh, your plants are probably doing fairly well, but they're probably producing, you know, maybe beans are producing, okra's producing, things like that. But things like your tomatoes and your peppers and, and other uh, typical summer crops may be kind of in a lull. I want you to know that we are about to go over the edge, and I'll go over the edge down here in the south a little later than some of you will up in the north, but we're going to hit the peak of heat for the summer, and the days are going to begin to noticingly shorten. Now, we're going to be into the fall period of time. It's still going to be light out very late um, in most of the country, especially up in the north, but it's going to begin to shorten the days, and the temperatures are going to drop, and that's going to send a signal to all the annual plants. And what's going to send the signal to them is reproduce now because winter is coming. In other words, act while you can. The same thing that we tell you to do here at the Survival Podcast, be an ant, not a grasshopper. Well, nature is not stupid. Nature obeys its own laws. And that's what your plants are going to do. They're going to go berserk. And for me, it was October last year. It was that far out. For you up north, it might be two weeks from now, three weeks from now, first week of September. Okay, and uh, what I had happen with just one bed of peppers was I had bins and bins of Rubbermaid tubs full of different peppers, and they were because they were all hot peppers from that particular bed. I ended up taking, I guess, a huge Rubbermaid tub every day for about three weeks to work and giving them away to anybody that would take them because I had so much, even with what we were saving. Uh, with my, my family's limited tolerance for uh, hot peppers, we had way more than we would ever use, even uh, put away and stored up for the year. And I'm talking jalapenos, uh, anchos, uh, poblanos, uh, you name it. I had it going on last year. Uh, what do you call those? Cowhorn peppers. And they all went ever-loving crazy. And it's happened every year. But this was the first year that that bed's kind of been through its second cycle. And uh, I got the soil just right and everything was happening just right. And it was really great. 
And this year, you know, I've got a much larger garden, and hopefully some of you guys have expanded your gardens this year. So this year, I'm looking at that times 10, and I'm looking at it with sweet peppers. It's going to be one of our biggest bumper crops this year, uh, along with, uh, with, with a lot of, uh, I'm growing these yard-long beans. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you live in the south, there's still time to plant beans. You need to get another sowing in the ground right away and make sure you inoculate the hell out of them with inoculant to give them a real growth spurt because uh, as soon as the frost comes, they're done. But I've been getting um, my yard-long beans this year. I have them interplanted all through my garden. If you've seen the video in the Member Support Brigade, you kind of have an idea uh, with my garden uh, how much interplanting I do. And I'm just letting like every day that I pick some, I let one long one stay on there until it starts to turn brown. I'm pulling the beans directly out of it and shoving them right in the ground. And I've got second generation producers right now uh, from seeds from this year. And I've got third generation that I can tell I'm going to definitely get production from. So it's not too late to even take some of the seeds of your plants for certain crops and putting them right back in the ground. So those are some things I want you to think about. And I want you to think about what you're going to do with all this stuff. And if you have been putting off getting a canner or a dehydrator, it's probably time to do that right now and get familiar with it and take a little bit of stuff while your production is kind of low and test it out and learn how to do it. Because trust me, you're going to end up spending a Saturday just putting stuff away if you have a big enough garden. Then I want you to think about some of the things that you can do that you don't really have to do anything if you just know that it's going to be okay and you don't have to worry about it. One is if you've planted winter squash. Winter squash will last about six weeks sitting on the counter. Okay, Just leave about two inches of length or an inch of length of the stem when you cut it off. I've got uh, four really beautiful um, Waltham butternuts sitting on my counter. They've been there two weeks. And butternuts, uh, in particular, if you let them sit like that, they'll actually get sweeter after you cut them. If you have a root cellar or a cool, dry area, uh, they'll keep for months and months and months. But they'll keep for a month and a half, generally at 72 degrees in your house on your countertop. Some of the other things that you might have in the ground, you don't really have to do anything. You can leave them in the ground. Uh, if you have carrots... Um, you can go out and cut, you know, go ahead and let them keep growing unless, you know, you need to pick them to eat them. But right now you could, uh, not right now, but when it gets close to being cold enough for frost to start, cut the tops off them and put about six inches of straw on top of them. They'll keep right in the ground, and whenever you need one, you can go out in the winter, pull back the straw and pull them up. You can do that with turnips. Um, you can do that with just about any root vegetable. Beets will tend to get kind of big if you let them stay in the ground that long. Uh, but if you plant a, a crop of beets right now, um, you they usually are pretty frost tolerant, and you can mulch them with some straw if you start getting some snow or frost, and you can have fresh beets through most of the winter. A lot of stuff, and it's kind of what I want to move into now, is you know getting ready to keep producing through the fall as you start freeing up space. A lot of plants will handle winter right through to Christmas, even in very cold parts of the country. Um, spinach, kale, beets, carrots, um, broccoli. Broccoli is immensely uh, resistant to the cold. Uh, Brussels sprouts, a lot of your lettuces, lamb's quarters. Uh, this is the time to start doing greens. Uh, a lot of the greens are going to handle the cold. Here's the key, though. They won't germinate well in the cold, and they won't grow well when they're small in the cold. You need to get them planted now, whether you're starting them in pots or direct sowing them. Some of you are in places where it's cool enough to go ahead and start direct sowing things like spinach and kale and chard and stuff like that. Some of you live like me where you want to get it going 
but it's still too freaking hot to plant it directly in the ground. It just won't germinate. So you then need to start it in uh, little pots inside your home. And uh, so start looking now at the different things that you want to grow through the fall and getting them started today. I think it's a good day for you to go by the Farmer's Almanac. Uh, com, and I'll put a link to that today and start looking at planning schedules for your area. It's probably a great time to start thinking about if you like peas to do a winter pea uh, sowing. Uh, it may not be time yet, depending on where you're at. For me, my ideal planting date for snow peas is September 15th for a fall crop. If you wait till September 15th in Pennsylvania, you're not going to get a good germination growth rate because the ground's going to start to get a bit too cold. It's not that the peas can't handle it. It's that they won't grow well without the warmth. They'll just kind of linger on you. And uh, they won't get you a good crop before you get the deep snows that are going to definitely put a damper on uh, anything like that. So for you, if you're in the north, you might want to be planting your fall crop of peas right now. And the best thing I can advise you to do, again, is start using Farmer's Almanac to make your determinations of when to plant. This is also a time for you to start thinking about the seeds that you want to store uh, for next year. There's all kinds of information on storing seeds at Seed Savers Exchange. But let's face it, in a lot of situations, uh, you don't have to really go to an extreme to be able to save seeds. Um, I planted some uh, magenta red orach, which does very well in the cool weather. Um, and when it gets hot, it starts to grow really fast. So uh, I let one of them grow, and it grew about five feet tall into this big tree-looking thing. And uh, it just formed all seeds all over it. So I have a Ziploc bag, about a quart Ziploc bag, almost half full of seeds. Uh, now I paid about $4 for a tiny handful of those seeds last year. It's a kind of an heirloom, very gorgeous, beautiful red variety. And from one plant, um, I have about seven or eight times at least, and I'd say it's probably ten times, the seeds. So there's an extreme value in your seed stores. Uh, they're an asset. It's time to start harvesting them. And it's also time maybe to start thinking a little bit more simplistically about some of the things that you want to do, and they're not as complicated as you think. Here's a perfect example. I'll try to video this for you this weekend as well. Out on my back porch, I have um, a couple pots. One has a dwarf peach in it, and the other one has a, a flame bush uh, blueberry in it. And uh, into that pot... Uh, this summer, it was probably June-ish, somewhere when we were in the pool and had a family over. We were eating watermelon from a store. Um, I just took a few of the watermelon seeds and stuck it into the two pots. Uh, both of them have been growing, but the one in particular, the blueberry bush pot, has vines hanging down to the ground off the bench. And there's two beautiful little watermelons that look like they're going to do just fine um, and produce for me. So I'm going to get two, and these are big, this, these were, this was a big watermelon. Uh, the big striped ones that you get in the store that, you know, they, they're, they're huge. So I'm going to get two great big watermelons just by throwing some seeds into my pot. So start thinking about the fact that maybe some of the seeds that you're using day to day, um, in, in your produce, you can maybe grab some seeds out of there. You know, I'm always wondering, will this stuff actually produce due to hybridization and things like that? But these things are doing great. And, uh, of course, I'll save some seeds out of those watermelons, and I'll use them for future generations. So start thinking about that. Um, another thing I want you to think about is uh, where can you just find seeds right now? You see, that's the thing about fall. Everything starts to go to seed. So, for instance, this summer, and we didn't buy any because we decided we don't want to plant them here. We want to plant them up in Arkansas. But this summer when we were at the uh, nursery, my wife noticed these uh, these flame 
uh, yucca plants, they're called. And it's a, it's a beautiful yucca, um, very, very tolerant, uh, can handle cold because it's from the desert. So deserts, they get cold at night, can handle heat because the deserts, of course, are uh, hot during the day produces beautiful flowers and of course for me as a survivalist um, I don't want to maybe live on yucca root but having yucca around and having the roots there if we ever needed to harvest them is a great additional resource because you can use yucca basically like potato I'm not the most fond of it in the world but if I was hungry I sure as heck would be happy to eat it so we have all of this rough hot arid land up there in Arkansas especially on the fringes of our property up on the, on the top of the mountain where these things would do great so we're going to buy a bunch of them well, they plant them all over here in Dallas. So yesterday I was going by a place called the Frosted Java, being a little privately owned competitor to Starbucks and giving a local businessman some business. And I noticed out in the front he had a bunch of these flame yuccas, and on them were seed pods. I bet you I have about 500 seeds just by grabbing a few seed pods. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep grabbing these things everywhere that I see them. And I'm going to go up where my son works and on the border because I know they have agave up there, and agave should do the same thing. And agave um, is what they make tequila out of. And I'm thinking an agave mead might be pretty cool. So I'm going to see if I can gather some agave seed as well. But with this this uh, flame yucca, if you're coming to uh, Dirt Time 09, I'm going to bring a, bring a big pile of those seeds out to Dirt Time. And if you'd like some of them, I'm happy to give them to you. But start looking around for not just food plants, but ornamental plants that maybe are planted elsewhere that you can maybe go out and harvest the seeds from. One of the things I really want to have you look for, um, you can get free food in a couple months if you just know what to do and know who to ask. I don't know what happened, but for some reason, landscapers all over the South have fallen in love with sweet potato vine this year. And I have seen sweet potato vine in apartment complexes, at storefronts. It's all over the place. It's a light lime green vine. There is an ornamental. I can't remember what it's called. It looks a lot like it, so you want to make sure that's what it is before you waste your time with this. But if you see the lime green and you see like a deep purple mixed in with it, um, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people planting those two types of sweet potato as ornamentals. Now, here's the thing. Um, in the fall, they're going to start to die back, and that's going to mean that they're done. And when that happens, that means that there's great big giant sweet potatoes in all these pots and in all these storefronts all over the place. And if you just keep an eye on it and you go out and you ask the people doing the landscaping about the time that they're coming in to put something for winter in like pansies, I bet you you can get tons of free sweet potatoes. Uh, even if you just got a few and get free seed stock out of it, that would be cool, and you could make your slips for next year. But I'm telling you, they're everywhere, and I guarantee you right now the people that are planting them are not thinking about them as a food source, and if you ask, they ain't going to care if you come in and grab a few or a bunch of them. And I've seen that all over Dallas-Fort Worth, and I'm thinking it's probably bigger than just here. So that's another thing to think about in the fall. And again, you know, keep looking for where can I find seeds. And I kind of picked up this concept of having that seed eye, I call it now, uh, from um, Bill Mollison, watching some of his videos about permaculture, and watching him walk around places, and he'd see a fruit tree. And he'd eat the fruit, and he'd immediately just go somewhere and randomly stick the seed in the ground. And if it grows, it grows, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I thought, you know, that's a great thing to do. Uh, but if you take that seed home, you can make sure that it'll grow. So, you know, things like peaches are another um, thing that I, I don't think people realize how easy it is to start a peach seed uh, from the ground. You don't really need a lot. You know, it's not like an apple where you really need to do grafting or anything like that. So your peach trees... Um, anywhere you go that you find a peach tree, the person's willing to give you a peach from. And there's a lot of them have gone through the production and done, but there's some late peaches that are still on right now. Um, or go to a peach tree that's uh, that's had its day, and I bet there's a lot of pits laying on the ground under peach trees right now. 
uh, from the ones that rotted or got taken by flies or uh, squirrels or whatever and, and uneaten. Uh, take those peach pits, dry them out, and use a nutcracker or a vice, crack them open, and you'll pull a little thing that looks like an almond, and that's because an almond and a peach are almost the same thing. And uh, put that thing in some uh, vermiculite or soil and keep it moist and put it in your refrigerator and keep it in your refrigerator until it starts to sprout roots. And once it does that, you can plant it in soil and begin to take care of it and you can grow a tree. You can grow a tree from a seed that you pick up off the ground. This is also a good time to start uh, maybe thinking about doing something that I've never tried before that I'm going to try this year. Um, if you have a greenhouse or if you're going to build a greenhouse in the next uh, month or two before you, you really need it. Or maybe you just want to try to limp these things through on a windowsill uh, through winter. Um, I did not know that you could do this with a pepper. I've always known you can do this with a tomato, but I've never actually thought about doing it before. You can go out uh, just before the frost comes, just when you know the frost is coming, it'll be time to do this, and cut yourself a nice branch off a pepper plant or a nice uh, vine, main piece of a main vine off of your tomato plant. Put a little bit of rooting hormone on the end of it and uh, set that in a glass of water or directly into uh, some potting soil. And in most instances, they'll root and they'll become a new plant. So instead of starting pepper seeds, what you can actually do is start growing small peppers from cuttings from all of your plants. And if you have a way to winter them through, uh, you'll then be able to put good, strong plants into the ground instead of little tiny seedlings come spring. So that's something else you might want to consider trying this year. I'm definitely going to do it. Now, let's say that you live in an area where you're not going to uh, be able to garden all the way through the winter, or at least you're going to put part of your garden to bed. It's also time to start thinking about that now. And maybe one of the things that you would do if you have crops that are coming to, uh, let's call it fruition, and they're not going to be able to uh, to produce for you uh, much longer. Go ahead and take them out then if they're, if they're done, or maybe they're done in a couple of weeks. And consider planting a winter legume, um, like a winter clover or a winter, uh, any kind of a winter legume, any kind of bean that can handle at least the initial frost, and plant that. Even if you're not going to be able to get a crop out of it, get it sprouted, get it growing, get um, it maybe it half grown where it starts to blossom, and then when your frost is about to take it, uh, it's a good time to just chop it up and turn it into the soil as well, and that's called green manure. And that will give you a great start the next year. And once you do that, then go ahead and lay a big pile of hay on top of it. And you can do that even if you get production. One of the things you might look at growing through your fall are something like fava beans. Fava beans are extremely cold tolerant. They produce a very large bean. They're very good storable. And they make, uh, you know, everybody makes hummus out of chickpeas. And that is the traditional Arabic hummus. Uh, but the Mediterraneans have their own version of hummus, and they use fava beans to make that. So start looking at, again, some winter crops. And I think that maybe that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good overview for today on uh, some different things that you can do for your fall garden. And, and I want you to really think about what you can do for storage purposes today um, because that, that harvest is coming. And th like I said, this is a great time for you to add a skill set if you don't have it of canning or dehydration. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot more canning, I think, this year than I have in the past. I'm going to look for some maybe sweet pepper, uh, sweet pickle pepper recipes. I'm just going to have a ton of peppers to do stuff like that with. And I, I suggest you challenge yourself and see what you can come up with uh, to do things like that. And uh, from there, let's uh, let's switch gears just a little bit. And I'm going to answer a few questions today as well because we're only 30 minutes in, and I think I've just about covered that topic to the point where I'm going to start getting redundant if I don't move on. And I am home, so let's just uh, let's take a look at the questions, Bank, and see if I got one or two. 
Okay, here's a good one, and since I'm home, I can actually read it to you. Uh, this guy says, hey, I live in a smaller town in Colorado Mountains, and the town allows everyone uh, to have four chickens in their yard. Uh, however, the subdivision I live in, just on the outskirts of town, has HOA rules that do not allow livestock. It is so ridiculous as this property was a former ranch and so perfect for each of us to be able to have chickens. I personally have an acre and a quarter, and I'm wanting chickens so badly. Not a rooster would make a lot of noise, just chickens, although I'd love to get a goat or two, but uh, I have to do one thing at a time. Do you have any really specific resources I could take to our board to try to convince them to change the rules? Wow, that's a tough one, and I read it mainly because I don't have a good answer for you. Because I don't, I mean, I'm just thinking people like that are generally really hard to reach. Um, the best guy I could talk, I could suggest that you maybe check out some of his shows and uh, maybe get in touch with. There's a guy called The Chicken Man. He's from Atlanta, Georgia, and he does a radio show on Saturdays. I'll see if I can dig up a link for you today and put that online so you can go check him out. And maybe getting in touch with him, he deals with this a lot. He may be able to help you a little bit better. I put this question on, though, because I think that it reinforces what I've said over and over when I've talked about picking a piece of property, be it for a bug-out location or just for day-to-day living. Stay the hell away from homeowners associations. They're generally run by busy people that don't have anything better to do with their time that want you to adhere to the standards that they want. I think homeowner associations are uh, just a, a huge mistake. I will never live in a place where there is one, and if anywhere I'm living people try to set one up, I will do everything I can within the bounds of the law and humanity to shut it down before it happens. Um, but yeah, that's the best thing I can tell you. The other thing I guess... I mean, I really don't know there, folks. If anybody has any suggestions for this individual, some resources or, or some things like that, uh, let me know. One of the things you might want to do is um, if you're going to buy, like, a commercial coop for your chickens, you may want to get some pictures or mock-ups of that and show people that, you know, you're not talking about a piece of uh, plywood lean-to or something like that. A lot of times in these homeowner associations, and this may be the one thing that might be helpful. I don't know if it will, but it's the one thing I would try, is making sure that you're going to explain to them you're going to have a very good-looking structure that's not going to damage the aesthetics of the neighborhood, um, and going to them with a complete plan of where you're going to keep them, how you're going to contain them, uh, may be beneficial as well, and they may be more open instead of just saying, okay, everybody can have chickens now, ask them if maybe we can work together to set a group of standards for the keeping of chickens, which I, I still think is bullshit, but right, you got to deal with the situation that you have at hand. So that might be a way to approach it. The coops have to be X, Y, and Z, uh, limit the number of animals. Maybe there's a no rooster requirement um, that maybe it has to be kept so far from homes or so far from street fronts. See if you can go in with that approach, and maybe they'll be opening to negotiating with you. And maybe I'm just being a personal you know, bias here or something, but generally speaking, in my experience, when you deal with a homeowner's association, they're not really flexible on things like that. But let me know how that works out for you and see if any of those things help. And, again, talk to the chicken man out in Atlanta. Uh, maybe he has some better resources than me. So let me do at least one more, um, and then I've got a pretty cool announcement for you about what's going to be on Monday's show. Um, Guy says, uh, he said, you mentioned a few episodes ago that you used to work for Esplenda as a kid, topping trees and such. I'm personally aware of Esplenda. Uh, two years ago, uh, what does he say here? I'm sorry, guys, I can't read this. For okay, basically I had to read through his email, and I'll just give you the gist of it. What he's asking me is he's got an oak and a maple, and um, he wants to know 
instead of cutting them down and planting them with fruit trees, if you could use them more for, let's say, producing firewood, how much trimming can you do to them, and uh, would you be able to get a reasonable amount of firewood every couple of years out of them uh, instead of just cutting them down? First of all, let me say something. I, I want you to understand, I don't hate oak trees and maple trees. I think they're beautiful trees, and I think they have a place. Uh, my concern is when people plant nothing that's productive at all, and entire neighborhoods sit idle. And he also asked about the 10% project. Remember, that was for placing one in 10 trees. And uh, we're coming up with another angle, I think, that maybe the uh, volunteers that I had uh, to build that thing weren't really actually building me anything. The design people were, but the coders just didn't seem to ever lay a single line of code. And uh, so I'm going to probably go out and contract that unless somebody steps up and starts laying some code down. Um, so we'll get that done. But but the question of, yes, you can talk, I mean, you can basically top trees. It's basically a, a form of cospicing. And uh, a lot of tree uh, pruners around here in Texas and up north as well in Pennsylvania, these two markets that I have experience with, uh, I've seen them go out and they basically cut all of the, the top of the tree off and they just leave a major fork. And uh, new shoots sprout in the spring, and uh, the tree grows back, and that keeps the tree at a reasonable size uh, for smaller front yards and such. And that's exactly what these guys do. They cut that stuff all summer, and then they cut all. They take all of the, the major pieces of the tree, they cut it up into firewood-sized pieces, and they take it out, and they store it somewhere. And uh, as it dries, they split it. And then they let it age. And then they, they do when winter comes, and they don't have any business cutting trees in the winter. So what they have is that big stack of firewood from the year before that's well-seasoned now, and they go out and they sell firewood. So if they can do that commercially, there's absolutely no reason uh, that you can't do that in front of your house. I would suggest that maybe you go out and look at, uh, drive around in about two months when uh, when that becomes a, a typical uh, thing for people to do and look at the way that it's done it's very hard to describe on audio what is too much but you can take an, it's how much of the tree you want to take off and, and remember once you do it you're going to live with it that way with no no leaves and branches on it till spring so you may not want to take as much as some of these people are taking off but the answer is you can take a ton off of that tree and it'll grow back very fast and the reason it's going to grow back very fast is because you know we look at how, how a tree grows and its growth rate and we say boy it takes a long time for a tree to grow well, it's because we don't see what's going on in the ground. At the same time the tree's growing up, it's putting an equal structure into the ground. If you could pull a tree straight up out of the ground and every root with it, you'd see almost as much biomass if you remove the leaves. And just look at the trunks and the stems, you'd see almost an equal amount of biomass in the ground. Uh, some of the oaks put tap roots down. It's unbelievable how far they go straight down into the ground and then the stuff that branches out from them. So when you top a tree, that root system is already there. So when spring comes and it goes, hey, I have no hat anymore, right? I need to replace it. It's a very quick growth because you have that huge root system to pull water and nutrients out of the ground. So that's a good question, and it's a, it's a good idea. And it's something we've done on a limited scale already in Arkansas. I've got these, uh, these two oak trees, these two pin oaks, that uh, the guy that had the house before me just cut flat to the ground, and they keep springing up side trunks. And I've cut them back to the ground about six times in four years. And every time I do it, I would say out of the two of them, I probably get about a quarter of a cord of firewood, which is not a lot of firewood, but considering it's oak and uh, I can I can cut it all, it seems like more than once a year I can cut this stuff. And I get nice, you know, probably four times as big around as a uh, broom handle uh, wood out of them 
that's a pretty good renewable resource. So it's something you can definitely look at doing. And fall gardening and fall preparations is a good time to look at doing that. So that's why I threw it in here. And I think we'll go ahead and wrap up with that one today. Now, what's the big announcement about Monday's show? Unless something goes wrong, uh, I will be interviewing James Yeager over the weekend uh, using a new recording system that I've, I've, I've found. And uh, Monday, our show should be, instead of just me talking to you for the first time, we're going to have a guest on the show. We're going to bring in James Jaeger from Tactical Response to talk to you about things that you can do to be better prepared uh, to defend yourself and to defend your home with firearms, which I know is a big subject for a lot of people, and I don't do a lot of shows on it, mainly because there's a lot of other information out there on guns and firearms, unlike some of the other things we talk about here. But I think that's going to be a great show. I think James does a great job. He has an interesting perspective, and he has a very impressive resume that's a mile long in the tactical industry, and we can learn a lot from him. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about starting to do these interviews. And I'll tell you this. If you think you'd make a good guest for the show, this is what you can do for me. Pitch to me. Um, send me an email telling me what you'd want to talk about and what you'd would you know what you'd be on the show and what you'd want to talk about and what we would do as an interview together. And uh, after you do that, if I like your idea, I'll email, email you back, and I'll have you make a recording for me. I'll give you a number in that email, and I'll tell you, hey, pitch me two minutes. What do you want to talk about? So I can hear your voice and, and hear your presentation ability. And uh, if you, I don't care if you're someone no one's ever heard of. If you have a great view and you have a, a decent voice and we can make a good show out of it, I'll have you on. And I think that'll be really cool. And I, I do want to bring in, you know, uh, people in the industry, bigger names, things like that. But I want to bring regular folks in too, not just to do call-ins, but to actually hear stories. Uh, spend 30 minutes together on on the air about what you're really doing in you know in your real lives out there, because I think it's very inspirational for people. And we have a tendency when we look at professionals and people that live in this industry to say, well, it's easy for them to say because that's what they do 24/7. But when you hear a guy and he comes on and you say, what do you do? And he's an auto worker or he's a farmer or he's a you know, uh, computer programmer. And you say, well, what are you doing for your preps? And they say, well, this is how I learned and this is what I've been doing and this is where I'm going and these are the projects I'm working on. That's really, really inspirational for a lot of people. So let's see if we can make that happen as well. And with that, I'll log off today. This is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. And you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.